0: Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas Eve. My name is JR. I'm the teaching pastor here, and uh, we're going to be talking about Christmas traditions today. Uh, My favorite Christmas Eve tradition growing up, we always had the same ones. Uh, My two siblings and I would go to a blockbuster video. Kids, ask your parents what those are later. Um, And we would each get to choose a movie. And we'd take them home, and then they would make this thing that we called corn dip, which you had to eat with nacho cheese Doritos. That was just the way you did it. And my mom would make a Christmas surprise drink that tasted magical, and we never knew what was in it. And then we would eat corn dip and drink Christmas surprise drink and watch our movies until we fell asleep, at which point, of course, our parents would put us to bed, and we'd wake up the next morning and rush out to the living room to see what Santa had brought us. It was fun. It was We did it every Christmas, light clockwork. It was predictable. And we did that until my parents got divorced. Uh, I was about 13 when that happened, and so of course our traditions changed, and it wasn't quite the same anymore because we were having corn dip twice a week, my dad didn't make Christmas surprise drink, and so it was just different, it was different at my Christmas as a teenager. Uh, Of course our Christmas traditions changed again as my siblings and I began to move out of the house. They changed again when we got married and had to navigate two families instead of one, Uh, and they changed again when we moved all over the country. My brother lives in New York now, my sister lives in Kansas City, I live here. And, and so throughout our lives, Christmas traditions have changed again and again and again and again. And it, makes it, it makes it difficult, I think, sometimes uh, to get into the spirit of Christmas because one of the ways we do that is by relying on the things that have been predictable for us. But change is probably the only constant in our Christmas season. Uh, what, the only thing you can really count on from year to year to year is that things are going to be different. For you, uh, maybe changes this year involve welcoming a new life into the world, right? Or uh, there's a new relationship, or you have a new job with a new schedule, and that's kind of changed your availability, right? And you've had to navigate how things are going. Maybe, maybe there's uh, less joyful reason. Maybe you're missing someone around the tree this year, or maybe someone moved out and changed some things, Right? Today we're going to be talking about Christmas traditions. We're going to be talking about uh, the fact of change and how so often we respond to change with anxiety, with fear, uh, with a sort of trepidation. But if we are careful and if we pay attention to the Christmas story, we'll see that change has been a part of Christmas since the beginning. And the good news in the midst of all of that is that no matter what your Christmas traditions look like, no matter if they're time-honored and ancient, Or if they're brand new and you're starting a new tradition this year, uh, Christ is at the center of all of them. Because Christmas ultimately is the celebration that God has come into the world, that God is with us. Not removed, not distant, but near and accessible to us. And so that's what we're going to be celebrating this morning. Uh, So as I said earlier, this is both the fourth Sunday of Advent and Christmas Eve. And so we are finishing up our our movement towards Christmas today in the series we've been calling To Be Continued, uh, we've been asking what it means that the Christmas story is ongoing in our lives today. That in the same way that the ancient Israelites were waiting for the Messiah to come, that we are still waiting for the Messiah to return. And so how can we learn from our ancient mothers and fathers what it looks like to prepare... Uh, for Jesus is coming in such a way that as we prepare for Christmas, we have not missed the Christ who is the center of that. And so this morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn over there with me. Uh, If you happen to grab one of the free Bibles out of the back, this is on page 409. And if you don't own a Bible, we always give them away, but you can consider it a Christmas present today. Merry Christmas. Uh, uh, Just keep it. We'd love for you to consider that your Bible. Uh, As you're turning to Isaiah 9, this is a prophecy that was delivered by the prophet Isaiah concerning, we're pretty sure it was about the birth of King Hezekiah. Okay, so it was it was when Hezekiah's father gave birth to the new prince of Israel, and everyone was convinced that Hezekiah was going to be like the best king ever, as you'll hear when we read this prophecy, right? It's wonderful. The, the problem is that while Hezekiah was a great king, he wasn't like the best king ever. He was just like a He's just a good king. So his reign was actually still filled with mistakes, uh, with sin, and with disappointments. In fact, some of the very uh, policies that Hezekiah enacted, some of the ways that he ruled, actually directly led to the exile, which was the most, uh, if, again, if you've been with us uh, for, the, for the fall, you know, we talked a lot about this completely catastrophic, devastating event in Israel's history where they were conquered by Babylon and some of the things that Hezekiah did while he was king actually contributed to and sort of set the stage for the exile to happen. So as we're reading this prophecy, try to put yourself in the shoes of these Israelites who were so excited about the birth of this new ruler. And also try to keep in mind the fact that no matter how great they were hoping he was, he d- he missed it. Like he didn't he didn't fulfill all of their expectations. So as we read this prophecy today, with the benefit of hindsight, it's this curious mixture of anticipation and excitement, and also disappointment, because we know that he didn't fulfill the promise that he showed at his birth. So here's, yeah, we're gonna be in verse two and just read through verse seven, and uh, I promise you'll recognize a lot of this uh, if you have like any sort of uh, Christmas background at all, right? So, uh, so of of the child king Hezekiah. The prophet said, "'The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. "'For those who live in a land of deep darkness, "'a light will shine. "'You will enlarge the nation of Israel, "'and its people will rejoice. "'They will rejoice before you "'as the people rejoice in the harvest "'and like warriors dividing the plunder. "'For you will break the yoke of their slavery "'and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. "'You will break the oppressor's rod.'" Just as you did when you destroyed the armies of Midian, the boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war, all will be uh, burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Why is all of this good stuff going to happen? Because a child is born to us. A son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called, these will be his royal titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of the heavens' armies will make this happen. Now, here's the problem. We know that that's not how Hezekiah's story played out. He was a great king, but his rule did not, in fact, extend forever. His kingdom did not, in fact, extend forever. His sons and his grandsons and his great grandsons, they ended up getting conquered, and his dynasty was destroyed. And so God's people, as they were reading these texts, as they felt God moving in them through these texts, they began to wonder if maybe they had it wrong. Maybe it wasn't just about Hezekiah. Maybe there was another king who would come one day who would be even better than Hezekiah was. A king who was from the line of David, who was from the line of Hezekiah, but wouldn't make the mistakes Hezekiah made, who would establish this new, better kingdom. And particularly, once they experienced the exile, once they were destroyed, they began to wonder if this would be a restoration, that this new king who would be born would restore everything and get them back to the way things used to be in the good old days, except, you know, even better. Now, again, cheating with the benefit of hindsight, we know that this text was talking about Jesus. That's why we ascribe, that's why this passage is so famous around Christmas time. It's why Handel worked it into his Messiah, right? Wonderful, count the mighty God, the everlasting Father, right? you You were singing along probably as I was reading it, right? That's why, because we know it was talking about Jesus. We know that he was the promised king, but we also know that when Jesus came, it didn't go, you know, like anyone thought. When Jesus was born, they didn't observe any of the traditions surrounding the kings of Israel. Uh, he didn't rule the way anyone sort of expected. And so before we go too much further, I do want to go and read the Christmas story today out of Luke 2. Um, and again, I thought it just be, would, would be fun, rather than having me read it to you, since I've already read from Isaiah, if we could have Linus read it to us. So if you would please enjoy Linus telling us the Christmas story from Luke 2. Uh, again, it's it's difficult for us because that story has become so familiar, not just in the church, but in our culture, it's difficult for us to imagine how uh, completely ridiculous it would have been to suggest to an ancient Jewish person waiting for their Messiah, having that prophecy of Hezekiah to guide them, to expect how Jesus actually came among us, right? None of the traditions of the kings of Israel were observed in Jesus's birth right? This, this birth that was humility, that was best embodied by an ugly Charlie Brown Christmas tree rather than, you know, a big glorious thing with lights and stars and an angel on top, right? Uh, it, it it just it boggles our minds that this is how God chose to enter into our world. And, and from that event, Jesus being born in a manger surrounded by livestock to unknown parents in a backwater part of the world that no one that wasn't from there had ever heard of, from that Seemingly mundane, completely ordinary, totally forgettable moment. Uh, any number of traditions have been spawned. I mean, most of the things that we do at Christmas weren't even a part of that first Christmas, right? Trees, not a part of that first Christmas. Gift giving, not a part of that first Christmas. The the wise men don't show up for a couple of years, right? I, apologies to the nativity scenes, right? But I, hopefully you know that by now that they were not there in that first Christmas. They got there, right? Santa was not on the scene yet. He was like 700 years later before Saint Nick rolled into town right? Uh, nog, I'm pretty sure there's no eggnog at the, uh, at the manger, I think. Uh, all, all of these kinds of things that we love that have become a time-honored part of our Christmas traditions were spawned by this moment. They were inspired by this moment, but they were not a part of that original Christmas. And that, that's okay. That's great. And all over the world now, people celebrate the birth of Jesus. They celebrate God coming into the world as this unexpected, but a completely necessary king In the Philippines, there are these 11 villages that compete every year by building these 20-foot-tall Christmas lanterns and seeing who can build the best one. It's a weird celebration, but I think it's fun. In Iceland, for the 13 days leading up to Christmas, uh, Icelandic boys and girls leave their shoes out by their beds because in Iceland there are these two little trolls called the Yule Boys, that will come and leave you candy in your shoes if you were good or potatoes in your shoes if you were bad. I guess that means you have to make your own hash browns in the morning or something. I don't know. Um, In Caracas in Venezuela, this is one I really want to do someday. Everyone goes to church on Christmas Eve morning, just like we have this morning, but everyone in the city comes on roller skates, right? And they, they shut the streets down because safety first on Christmas Eve, right? And everyone in the city roller skates to church on Christmas Eve. I think that's I don't know why they do that, but it's awesome, right? (laughs) And probably my favorite holiday I found, uh, in Sweden, there's this one village that back in 1966 started building a 40-foot-tall Yule goat every year. And every year since 1966, people in the town have tried to burn it down before Christmas. (laughs) And last year, in 2016, on the 50th anniversary of the Yule goat, was the 29th time that they succeeded in burning down the Yule goat. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I don't know how you celebrate Christmas. If you build Yule goats and light them on fire, I want to come over. That sounds like a good party, right? Uh, I don't know if you roller skate on Christmas. I don't know if you leave uh, shoes out for Yule trolls. I don't know. I don't know what you do. Uh, I do know that change has been a part of the Christmas story since the beginning. Because. The whole point of Christmas is that God became human. Nothing like that had ever happened in the history of the world. It's completely unprecedented. Nothing like that has happened since. God entering into the world changed everything forever. And so what that tells us as we enter back into our Christmas traditions is that we don't have to be afraid of change because our Christmas traditions are always going to change no matter what kids grow up people move out things change 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 and it's always hard change i've no, i have not found the secret formula to make change easy to make it like no big deal right it's always hard but what i know is that christ can be in the center of all of our traditions whether they're old And reliable and trustworthy or whether they're brand new this year. Whether they're changes for great reasons or whether they're changes for painful and sad reasons. No matter what, Christ can be at the center of our traditions. We've spent the entire season of Advent this year asking how in our preparation for Christmas we can be sure that we do not miss Christ. And so today we celebrate that Christ is born, that he has come into the world, that God is making all things new and inviting us to be a part of it. And so as we celebrate Christmas today, we are celebrating the fact that the light is shining in the darkness and the darkness can never overcome him. We are celebrating the fact that we can look towards 2018, towards a new year with hope, with excitement, knowing that even if things don't say the same, that God is with us and that God is calling us to join him in announcing life and peace and hope into the world. And that's good news, that's what Christmas is all about. So we're gonna sing some more songs, we're gonna light some candles together, we're gonna do all of those traditions that we enjoy, even though things are different this year because we're doing Christmas Eve in the morning, which I know feels super wrong to some of us, right? But that's okay. Uh, Even though things are a little bit different, we're going to do those things, but before we do any of that, I want to invite you to the communion table. Because this table reminds us that the Christmas story orients us towards Easter. That the light came into the world and entered into and shines into the very darkest places in our world, even into the places of pain and death. That those places too might be illuminated with the light of love and truth. And so we approach God's table today at God's invitation to us to join him in the light. This meal invites us to share the table that Jesus shared with his followers the night before he was killed. When at that meal, he broke bread and offered it to us. He said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Take it and eat it. Later in that same meal, he took a cup full of wine and he offered it to us. and He said, this wine is the blood of my new covenant. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Drink it all. We come to the table today as a people who is anxious to participate in God's light, who is anxious to keep Christ at the center of all of our celebrations. And so you don't have to be a member of Catalyst to receive communion with us today. I know we have a lot of guests with us this morning. I just want you to know that if you are someone who is willing to walk in the light of God, if you are someone who is excited to keep Christ at the center of your Christmas celebrations to join God in announcing peace and life and hope to the world, then you're welcome to come and participate with us this morning. I'm going to offer a prayer for us, and then as you're ready, you're welcome to approach the table and receive communion. So let's pray together. God, you have gathered us together this morning on this Christmas Eve to celebrate the birth of your son in this world, this unparalleled moment that changed everything forever. We have been gathered here as people who are familiar with change. Some of us are participating in Christmas traditions that uh, are generations old this morning. And some of us on the, the other end are still trying to grapple with a Christmas that doesn't look the way we thought it would even a month ago. You have gathered us to show us that in the midst of all of our circumstances, you are present with us. That that's, in fact, the good news that we are celebrating this morning. That no matter how hectic and harried, uh, no matter how peaceful and bright our holiday is, you are in the center of it with us. And so we approach your table this morning at your invitation. We approach your table yet again this morning to be uh, made into one body together together to be united with each other, and to be united with you. As we approach and receive these wafers and juice, we ask that they become a spiritual food for us. We ask that they give us the grace to see how you are working in our midst, to see how you are continuing to call us to life and hope and peace. Thank you for calling us together. Thank you for giving us the gift of your son. Thank you that the meaning of Christmas is God with us. We offer these prayers when we approach your table this morning. In the name of your son, Jesus.